You're listening to audio from Plank Grove Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankgroveharvest.org. I had a... Amy, so I gotta say, we do a lot with a little here that you may be unaware of. So we don't have a lot of paid, we don't have any paid staff. And so Amy uh, is kind of the, Amy Strong's in the back row wearing green. The whole green brigade's back there, point to, yeah. Anyway, uh, the, the green brigade back there is, uh, so she's looking on the e- emails the other day, and uh, she finds an email, which was a miracle that anyone checked the email. I just got to let you know that. And so, um, you know, she's got other things to do. Jan has other things to do. They do the bookkeeping and, the, and that kind of thing. And she sees this little email that says, um, what kind of style of teaching or preaching do we lean towards in uh, here at, at church? And so I asked Madam Secretary to send back, you know, we don't really know. Um, we're not really, we're not really, we're trying to figure it out. No, that's not true. <laughs> it's not really true. We really do desire to preach in an expository way, but there's also topical things that you're running along and you can't go to, you know, Ephesians. And in there in Ephesians, you see things about, you know, the old man and the new man and and then if you are a liar, stop lying, tell the truth. If you are a thief, stop stealing and begin to give. And then it goes right directly into, you know, family, husbands, wives. And then it goes into the full armor of God. So if you were doing it expositorily and you weren't going to spend any particular amount of time on any one of those, you're just going to go verse by verse. I mean, there's a number of topics there that you could bear down. And glad to see you, Margaret. I hope you're doing good. Um, um, it, there's just a lot of things that you can... Uh, you would just miss by you going too fast. So sometimes you got to slow down and do some topics. And so the topic that I'm talking about is a thing that I'm, I'm seeing to be a problem or a weakness in believers here and everywhere. Um, you know, last week, and, I, and it's online, and you can go back and listen to it. And I'm not, like I said, I know there's, there's better preachers, but I think I'm right and saying that what we covered last week is what we need so bad. And that is people understanding who the Father is, his love for you, the care he has for you, and things like that. Go back and listen to it again and take some notes. I would give you my notes, but my notes are not what I preached. I don't know how I got so far off, but somehow it came together and almost made sense at the end. So I went and listened to it, and so I'm, I'm just saying, go back and listen to last week. If you, if you heard it already, you know, if I ask you, I've done it before. Uh, Loretta and I were talking one time. And I was like, yeah, we were preaching last week. I was like, what was it on? And Loretta's like, man, I don't remember. It was really good. I'm like, well, if neither one of us remembered and I preached it, then we should go hear it again. <laughs> so it must not have been that good because it didn't stick, you know. We get so many things going in our lives, in our minds, in our things. We watch so much. We take so much in. I'm guilty of this myself. I take so much in in reading or I read multiple books. I read a lot of books at the same time, which is a weird thing I know maybe for you, but I will read like three or four books sometimes at the same time, and they may all tie to each other, and uh, but and then with the Bible as well. And if I get way behind, then I have to put all that stuff behind and then just read just strictly the Bible or maybe a commentary on something that we're working on. But what happens is you end up with uh, tomato soup in there. It's all mixed up, and you're trying to discern what the Lord's speaking to you, or, or you can't, you know, you're kind of having trouble hearing his voice. And so we get more distant from God as we receive more things through the internet or through TV or what, however you get your 
you know, even the news can get you really disoriented. As you listen to a lot of news, you got, you start kind of making that your paradigm. God must be working some way because all this stuff's going on in the news. Trust me, they're all lying to you. If you can figure that out, that the news is a lie, that the government's a lie, and they're all lying, I mean, go back to the Word and, and get back to the Father. He'll tell you what the truth is. Go focus on that. It'll help you a lot. And one of the reasons we're so distant from God is because we're not spending time with them. So if you'll take the time, spend some time with them, like any friendship, you that, that you know, call me regularly or, or encourage me regularly or, or just, you know, whatever. You check in on me, I check in on you. Um, you know, we should be talking about spiritual things. I did get to talk to a guy last night, really helped me um, in the thing that we're going to talk about tonight, which is the walking in the spirit. But, you know, I can read the word. I can read the same thing over and over, but sometimes it's good to have a brother or sister in Christ. You talk to them, and they just have a different little something that unlocks what's, what's uh, holding you up. You know what I mean? So, man, seek the Lord with your whole heart. Seek his word. Seek his face. Seek to dwell in the shadow of the Almighty. Seek to get in there. So I'm really working on that. The reason I'm working on that is because I have seen it to be a struggle for many of you. And that is the significance of knowing the true father, not the father that's imagined by men. I really, that, that book I was telling you about where we had the stewards and they were speaking from behind a mask. There's something to that. It, you've done it too. You've presented yourself as a believer to other people, but then you go home and your wife knows what you really are. So you've spoken to other people about God, who he is, what he does, so on, but you've spoken to them behind a mask. And so what they do is they get a distorted view of who the Father is. They get a distorted view of who Christ is. And then when you fail, because good men fail all the time, when you fail, they say, well, he represents God and he's a failure. Therefore, you know, God's not who he said he was. And they were already distraught. They were already confused. They were already disoriented about who the Father was, who God is, who Christ is, who the Holy Spirit is. Here's the questions I got this week. Uh, before I, before I left, I'll, I'll tell you about that, but I just want to continue down this road a little bit as we kind of dig deeper into who the Father is, His grace and mercy. Emily and I were talking about that song, you know, His mercy is more. It should have been His grace is more. Well, whatever, you can't complain about everything, you know, they did the best they could. But it uh, should have been His grace because of His grace. That's, that's our only hope because of His grace. His mercy, yeah, but His grace even more. So it begins... So if I had to put my finger to help you the most, if I had to put my finger on just one spot, there's a number of spots that would help you figure out this relational thing with the Father and so on. But if I had to put it in one spot, I would put you in John 14 through 17. And I would keep reading that if I was you. I would keep reading that until I understood. I remember uh, listening to uh, um, Paul Washer one time, and he said, I couldn't stay awake. I'd go in my prayer closet, and I wanted to an answer from the Lord. And so he set an, an, uh, an alarm for every five minutes to go off, and he said, I was not going to leave there till I got a word from God, till I could hear his voice. I kept saying I wanted to hear his voice, and he stayed in there for like two days. I guess his wife just brought meals and slid it under the door like a prison inmate or something. But eventually, the alarm would go up. He'd wake back up. Lord, it's just, you know, reveal yourself to me speak he spent enough time that he finally understood what it was he was looking for to receive from the father from god from the spirit he spent enough time there we don't spend enough time oftentimes and that's the problem that's why we have these weaknesses in understanding or weaknesses in relational 
uh, fellowship with the Father or with Christ because we haven't spent enough time. We're waiting for someone else to tell us what he is or who he is or how he is. We're waiting for someone else to give us the word, to tell us how to do it. It's like Andrew used the word. He's an old video gamer from years ago. He doesn't now. He's a, he's a converted man. But back in the day when he was low down in sin and playing video games, he's, he called it a cheat code. But so you can skip levels. You don't have to experience all the levels to get to the, cha- you know, whatever, the championship round, right? And so with, with us, with the Father, we want the cheat code, but we're not willing to go through the experiences ourselves. We're not willing to go through the suffering ourselves. We're not willing to go through the Bible studies ourselves or the prayer ourselves or the meditation ourselves or the fasting ourselves, especially if Andrew's already done it. Just tell me how you got there. Give me the end result. And so we go home after hearing a message of one thing or another, and we go home, and we're like, oh, man, that was good. And then the busyness of whatever, it, it piles on. And by Wednesday, someone said, man, did you go to church on it? Oh, yeah, what was it about? Oh, man, he was talking about a cheat code. I don't know what he, You know, you missed everything. You missed everything. So, like I said, John 14 through 17, we're not going to read it all this morning, but if I could take you back to one thing, I would take you to John 16, verse 27 first, just to remind you, just to remind you. John 16, verse 27. For the Father himself loves you. I'll stop right there. For the Father himself loves you. He doesn't love uh, sinful you. He doesn't love unconverted man, but he loves you. You who have been converted, you have who received Christ, have received the Spirit. He loves you. John 16 and verse uh, 27. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from God. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. The Father himself loves you. There's your memory verse. Psalm 91, 1 and 2, there's your memory verse. But the Father himself loves you. And so, let's go to 17 and read 1 through 3. John 17, 1 through 3. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you. Eternal life is knowing the Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Verse 20. I do not pray for these alone, his disciples and those that had been with him, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. The Father loves you. Before you get to thinking like, here we go again, and he's going to give us a gospel message. We heard the gospel message. He gives us the gospel message every week, it seems like. We're tired of the gospel message. If that was true, then why did you ask me before I left? How can I be filled with the Spirit? Can I pray to the Father? Do I got to pray in Jesus' name? Why would I pray in Jesus' name? How do I walk in the Spirit? How do I walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit? That's what you asked me before I left. So we got to start back at the beginning. The Father loves you. 
The Father has a desire and a design for you to know and to love him. And he sent his son in order that that would be possible. Because of what bad stewards did over time, they distorted who the father was. They spoke to men with a mask on and they pushed the father very distant from men. And it made it difficult for them to find him. And so for you in those first three verses, who are you in those verses? In John 17, 20, that's you. I don't pray for these alone, but for those who will believe in me through their word because of whoever. I'm going to say I'm of Peter. And somehow through all the ages 2,000 years ago, Peter told somebody who told somebody who told somebody who eventually told me. Peter's great, 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 grand, whatever he was. And he told me, and I received the word, and I went away glad. Somebody told, and they told you. But what they told you about Whoever that grandfather was, um, you were probably of James, I'm saying. I can just tell. But, but whoever it was, it passed the word till it got to you that the Father loves you and that he sent his only begotten son to save you, right? And that in following and in obedience to him, in repentance and faith and obedience to him, you could know the Father through the Son. And you could pray to the Father through the Son. And you could be filled with the Spirit. And we're going to talk about the filling of the Spirit tonight. So if you want to know about that or what I think about that, come tonight. It's not what I think about it. It's what the Word says about it. i got to be careful. I use that word, think what I think. It doesn't matter what I think. It's what the Word says. So just do what the Word says. And I tell you that too. Uh, I just remind you, the only thing you have to do is do whatever the Word tells you to do. Do that and you'll be fine. You'll find the Father. He'll find you. So how are you in this? It says, you have given him authority over all flesh. Well, that's you. The Father gave the Son authority over all flesh. You are flesh. In your natural state, that was you. And he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. That's you. He's willing to give you eternal life through his Son, you. Because the Father loves you. And this is eternal life that they may know you. That you may know the Father. That's eternal life. So you were mentioned uh, four times, uh, just getting to verse 20, at least four times. 17, there, it's more than that, but just in those first three verses, three, three or four verses, you personally were mentioned. You were thought of. Maybe not by name, but you were thought of. You were considered. The Father considered a way that you could gain access to Him, to pray to Him, to understand Him, to know Him, to have knowledge of him and to learn to love him by knowledge of him we grow in love for him it's like any relationship it's like any relationship i've known charles or or any one of you that i've known for a long time when i first know you we're distant we shake hands you know um one person I know, they, they're so standoffish, they shake hands with, they kind of halfway shake hands and hug you with one arm while pushing you away with the other. They don't want to be touched, it's too intimate, it's too personal, you know? That's how we start with every relationship. We don't want to be hugged face-to-face -face with a total stranger, you know? So then we go from the handshake to the side hug, from the side hug to the, bat, the kidney pat, from the kidney pat to the other arm maybe across, and eventually you're hugging face-to-face, -face, but it takes time of knowing the person, right? We don't immediately, and that's how it is with the Father. We say, well, I, I meet these people, uh, uh, 
especially young, uh, very fervent and, and zealous people, and they're like, I love the Lord. Well, tell me about them. And they can't. They don't even know them. I mean, they know of him. And in time, we learn to love him like true love. So this is what was really interesting to me, too. So I had these people ask me those questions before I left. And then I got up there, and Pastor Tony is he's in bad shape. He's very unhealthy. He had to sleep a lot, and, and he was in such pain that when he stood, he kind of stood with his knees bent and kind of hunched over to take the pressure off his liver, his abdomen, abdomen right there. And uh, it was hard to watch. And then, I mean, he's taught me in the past. He's been my pastor. He's been my mentor in the past. And now he's like, Dale, is it true with the Bible? I'm like, yeah, it's true. It's true. What happened? How do, how do we get distant from the Father? He's not distant. I mean, he's, he's got a lot of stuff going on and taking a lot of medication. His memory's not very good right now. But uh, how do we keep asking those questions? We ask them because we're human and because we're fallen and because our minds aren't like Adam's mind was. It's not, we're not brilliant. We think we're brilliant, but we're not that brilliant. And you can tell me, people have, you know, uh, you know, you, you gave the gospel an awful lot. You gave the gospel two weeks ago, you know, keeping track. And it hasn't happened recently, I will say. It's been in the past. But I'm thinking, well, I guess we've got to keep having it because we keep forgetting that the Father loves us and that the Son was sent for us and that we can have access and understanding and knowledge of the Father through the Son and that we can be filled with the Spirit and we can walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh. And you say, well, that seems really simple. Which it does. But I'm as guilty as you of forgetting that when anything different happens. Is the Father still in control? So I really don't feel too bad about going that with you again, but I did want to go back over that Psalm 91, uh, 1 and 2. And I really think, too, this is my opinion, just a disclaimer. The reason we ask these things is because we desire closeness with the Father. We're not asking them out of arrogance or pridefulness or silliness. It's because we want to make sure that we know him, that he knows us. You know, make your calling and election sure. I want to be sure. And so I don't think it's wrong that we go back to those things. And I was thinking about, you know, the Puritan men, you know, they, they set for, they were big on the oil lamp and the word, right? So they couldn't wait for it to get dark. And then they would spend hours, early Americans, spend hours um, studying the Word, just reading the Word and, and, and reading the Word before God and then in many hours in prayer and even shorting themselves in sleep and then the next day having that revelation that the Lord had spoken to them through His Word and through, his, through prayer and, and through those things the night before. They were big on fasting. And then now we're like, well, how did Jonathan Edwards write all this stuff? Because that's what he did, 13 hours a day in the Word, in prayer and in study, 13 hours, two hours a day, every day, walking despite, no matter the weather, he would walk in any weather, just so that he could be alone in God's creation with him so he could hear from him. Are you willing to do that? If you're willing to do that, then you can have the relationship that Jonathan Edwards had with the Father. If you're not, then you're going to probably have less. You can desire more, but you're probably going to have less. That's the trade-off. How much time are you going to put into it? Let's read Psalm 91, 1 and 2, one more time. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, of Yahweh, of Adonai, 
He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in him I will trust. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Adonai, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in him I will trust. It's a very special secret place of the Most High. It's a secret place. It's a special place. It's the Holy of Holies is where Adonai dwells over the mercy seat. It's where he dwells. In this age, when this man is writing this scripture, that's what he's talking about. He wants to be where the presence of God is. But, and he sees it as a blessed place to be, dare I say, but for most of us, we're at different levels of distance from the secret place, from the shadow of the Most High. We're far from it. And again, I told some of you all this morning, but the tabernacle had these different courts. They had the courts of the Gentiles way, way out. Then they had the court of the women and children. Then the court of the men. Then they had the Levitical area and the uh, sons of Korath or Korah or Korath, whichever ones they were. And they they had the area where they did all the maintenance of the of the big uh, the big water basin of the uh, altar itself. Then you went up the steps and you went into the outer room. And then we had some different showbread plates and things like that, little stands. And then you went into the Holy of Holies. And a lot of things happened to get you, a lot of things had to happen for you to approach God and go all the way into the Holy of Holies. You had to have a lot of stuff going on. Uh, it, it depended on your birth, your cleanliness, the sacrifices made, the sprinklings done, the particular forms of worship and, and um, you know, who your parents were how far up you could go, whether you're a man or a woman, whether you're a child, whether you were born of the Jewish people of Judah or one of the tribes of Israel. So you could have more or less access to the mercy seat depending on how much uh, status or whatever or, or lineage that you had. It's not so now. But then this was the deal. It doesn't seem fair not up to us to decide that. But there's a secret place that's very close to the presence of God that you have permission to enter today, but it kind of depends on you. Like I told you, there's not shortcuts to get there. Matthew 21, you can go to it or not, uh, but it's, it describes one of those courts and the court was the court of the Gentiles. And it's where Jesus goes in and he drives out the animal salesmen and the, and the money changers. And he drives them out of there. And one thing that the high priests were doing, they had quite the racket going in that time. So what they do is you buy your lamb, pay top dollar for it because you couldn't travel with it, right? You paid top dollar for this lamb. And then they would take it to the high priest and he would say some stuff or whatever, and he would lead it away from you. You're assuming that he went, and so what he would do is take the lamb, go back around, and give it back to the money changers so they could sell it again. And he gets a cut, money changer gets a cut. They make lots of money off a single lamb. Bad stewards. Wicked stewards. But to be clear, where Jesus drove out the money changers is where you would have been standing. That's in the Gentile court. We got any good Jews in here? We need some Jews in here. We lost our one, we need, we need, there's some Jewish blood in here. I, I, I think it's Mr. Alva. I can tell by his spirit. No, there was a lot of Jews that came into Central South America back in the day, so he's our, he's our one hope. 
Maybe Gonzo. Gonzo's probably a Jew. I'm sorry. Jewish blood. So the Jews had the, the inside track, right? The Gentiles are way back from the, from the veil, way back. And you're not going to see in the veil. They say it was about 12 inches thick. It was like multiple layers, like a blackout, super thick blackout curtain, very tall, and uh, around 13 feet tall, I believe, and I can't remember the width. It was big, heavy. One guy once a year gets to go in there. One gets to go into the presence of the Most High. Only one guy. And so what it is is, a, is the fact that Jesus was like, I want all men, not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. Didn't send his son to condemn the world, but that, that the entire world would be saved through him. He wanted, Jesus was like, man, get out of here. You're keeping Gentiles from being as close as they can possibly be to the presence. I mean, this is, oh, it's way out here. And you would keep these guys even way out here, and then you would block them off where they can't get closer to the presence? What's wrong with you? One good steward there in Christ. Remember, there was other men that, that wanted that holiness, and this is what I want for you, this is what I want for me. You remember Moses, he had his mini tabernacle there where him and Joshua hung out, where him and the Lord would meet face for face to face, like one friend speaks to another is what it says. And so in that little mini tabernacle, only Moses got to dwell in the shadow of the Almighty. Only Moses. And Joshua was on the outside. He wasn't allowed into the, the inner sanctum. Only Moses. And then David, remember David, he's fleeing from Saul. And he so desired the presence of God when he goes to, uh, what was his name? Ahimelech, right? The high priest, 1 Samuel. He's on the run from Saul. And he's like, I need something to eat. You got anything? And well, we got some bread. He goes, man, give me the good bread. Well, we dedicated that bread to the Lord. That's close to the presence, right? Bring me that stuff. I want the stuff that's been the, I want the, the presence has looked on that bread. That's the bread I want. And he says, I want to go pick up later. I want to go pick up the, the Ark of the Covenant. I want to bring it back. Because I want the presence where I am. And he was willing to do whatever to do that. First he takes the card, he does it wrong. Same, that's what we do. Because we're, I think, in as believers, I really believe that in most of us, even in our failures, our failures come for our desire to have closeness with the Father. We don't know how to get it. It's, I don't want to harm anyone here. But it's one reason people get really enamored with, with uh, um, dramatic spiritual gifts. Because the dramatic spiritual gift is a shortcut to hear from God. I'm not saying God doesn't work through tongues or healings or any of those things. But I'm telling you, if you know, if you meet very many of those people that are super involved in that, a lot of times they're very weak on other things or knowledge of the Bible or doctrine. And they're really strong in, you know, speaking in tongues or seeing a person healed because they want the experience without the, the effort. They want the closeness without going through the hard part to get there. They want to be the world champion believer, but they're not willing to do all the, the tournaments that it takes to work your way up to the final whatever championship. It's a, it's a problem. I'm not demeaning them for desiring. I, I understand what's going on. I understand for you what's going on. You want closeness to the Father, but you want me to tell you how to do it, and then you don't have to experience anything 
and then you'll just have it. And it doesn't work that way. It takes, it's personal. It's very selfish. Salvation is very selfish. You have to taste and see for yourself that the Lord is good. You have to discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. And only after you possess it for yourself can you tell someone else what it is to have it. But you got to have it for yourself first. Sounds selfish. But when it comes down to it, there's one guy in particular that I would really not like to see in hell, and that's me. And I pray you feel the same way. Work out your salvation. That's what it says. Work it out. Make sure you're saved. Make sure you understand. And then grow spiritually. You can listen to all the preaching you want, and eventually it just becomes more information and more noise. If it doesn't grow you closer to the Father, which is personal in, in uh, gaining and receiving, it's very personal. There's just a, this very limited entrance into the Holy of Holies, into the place most high. It's a very small door. There's plenty of room in there. There's a really small door. And you're very distant from it in the court of the Gentiles. Matthew 27. Go to Matthew 27. Something happened. Something happened. And now I know. Something happened. Matthew 27. Jesus is on the cross. These people were merciless. The Messiah himself is on the cross and he's dying for them and they're like, man, give him a drink. No, no, bring it back. No, he's calling for Elijah. No, no, wait a second. Don't, don't help him. No, go ahead. Take him the, take him the vinegar. No, no. Uh, give him something for the pain. No, don't give it to him. Let him see if God will come and No, wait, wait, just wait, just watch. I mean, the guy, the, the Christ, the Messiah, I don't want to use the word guy, the man, Christ Jesus, is suffering terribly, and they're watching him, and it's like watching the play-by-play -play of a football game. Let's see what happens. Maybe he takes himself off the cross. Just wait, don't help him. Just watch him. Something's going to happen. Let him alone, verse 49. Let's see if Elijah will come to save him. Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked and the rocks were split, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves, after his resurrection, just to be clear, happened a couple days later, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they great greatly feared, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. Good thing we waited. But here's the point. Verse 51 is the point. The veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Where before the court of the Gentiles, there was no vision of the Holy of Holies. There was no access to the Holy of Holies. Now, any man could access the Most High God. That's a pretty amazing thing. We take it very casually because we don't understand what happened. 
this was a very dramatic event. One scripture says that the whole world was darkened for about three hours. That means African man, Indian, South American man was going out to hoe his corn that day, and for three hours he is like, this is unnatural, something's going on. The whole world was darkened for about a, a part of a day there, right? It was a big deal. And we read it real casually, you know, and we don't read that part where it says, let him alone, because you would have done the same thing. You just sit there and watch and go, huh, what was happening now? Interesting. Because that's what we do. But it says that the veil was, of the temple was torn. I'm going to read this. Look what it says. Psalm 91. It says, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I'll say of the Lord of Adonai, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, and him I will trust. I can now access the Holy of Holies that I never had access to before, but I'm not going to. Tell me who the Father is. You tell me. I want you, I want you Dale, I want you or John MacArthur or Alistair Begg or whatever guy that you really think has got the, got the word. I want you to tell me how to access the Father. And then right here, Jesus says, I'm going to show you here. And he rips the veil open. And so any person can see into where the presence of God dwells. Nobody's excited about that at all. I thought it was pretty good. I'm pretty happy. Gentiles, Jewish men, women, even the sheep that are out there that have been sold five times, they can see into the Holy of Holies now where they never could before. It's a secret place. One guy once a year could go in there. These people had, think about it, they had never laid eyes on the Ark of the Covenant, and now it's like somebody going over and jerking your pants off for the whole world to see. Now everyone can see the Ark of the Covenant. You can. One of my favorite verses there in Isaiah, uh, in Isaiah chapter 5, where he says, um, uh, <laughs> When he looks up and he sees the throne of God, high, when Isaiah sees it, high and lifted up, and his, and his robe, the trail of his robe, filled the temple. I'm one of those people that when I read, I can kind of see it like TV in my mind. Not everybody can do that, I understand. But the, so the, the length of the robe dictated your authority, your sovereignty, how much you controlled. So, you know, King Charles walks by his robes only about this long. They've had to cut some off because they lost all their territories and stuff over the years. But for God... His is making laps around the temple because he owns it all. And Isaiah's looking at him. I saw the Lord and he was high and lifted up on the throne and his glory filled the temple and his robe filled the temple. And Isaiah's like the most righteous man alive at the time and he falls on the ground. Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. When he finally sees into the Holy of Holies, he never got to see the ark, but he saw better than the ark. He saw the Lord high and lifted up. But he was looking for him. We've got to be looking for him. So until we had access to see the mercy seat, all we had was somebody else's word that it was in there, that the Father was in there, that the Father's presence was in there. Remember, uh, was it Zechariah? He goes in there and like the smoke was so thick he couldn't get out or whatever. Um. The presence is thick in there, but you're way back there on the edge of the Gentile court. There's really a lot going on, by the way, of, of Jesus cleansing the Gentile court. It was about turning control over um, 
to the Gentile nations for a time. Not We didn't replace the Jews, but the Jews had rejected Christ. There's a lot other pictures going on there. But, but for us, for Gentiles who have been so far off, now you've been called close. So you can go really close. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It's the grace of God that we now see that passes understanding. That's why we sang all those songs this morning about grace, in case you didn't catch it. It is by grace through faith that you've been saved, and that not of yourselves. It is a what of God? It's, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. In verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We were prepared beforehand to walk in good works. But it's by grace that you've been saved. It's by grace that God sent his son, his only begotten son, which is a different word than one and only. It's the unique, the, the only one of its kind. It's just a very unusual word. He sent that son by grace to earth so that you could be saved. The Father loves you. He's got to. Would you send your, you wouldn't send your dog to get shot by a neighbor across the road in order for them to be saved. God sent his unique, one and only, one of a kind and only son to die in your place. By grace, you've been saved. A gift. Nothing you can do. We keep trying to do all this stuff. If I do more stuff, God will love me more. Sorry, man. If I do less stuff, God will love me less. That's not how it works either. If you're his, he loves you. If you're in the pig pen, he still loves you. He wants you to come back. So it's a gift of grace. It's created in Christ Jesus beforehand. Part of the, a goodly part of the Father's design for men is for them to enjoy his grace and to understand it. And his grace was shown in that Matthew 1.17. It says, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And though no one has seen God at any time, the grace came through Christ when he came to man. It's, it's, a, it's a bigger deal than we give it credit for. God, the Father presented us this word. It's, it's charis, C-H-A-R-I-S, um, favor, blessing, kindness, but it's bigger than that. Like if I show you grace, you know, you stepped on my toe and I didn't slap you for it. You know, I don't know, maybe that was mercy. Maybe it was both. But what the Father's grace showed was so much greater because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't have anything. His, his grace was given when we had nothing to offer in return. It was not earned. It was not deserved. But he gave us his grace. It was a gift. And here's the, the thing about gifts. This is a Tonyism. You got to open the thing. And many people open the gift, and then they look in there and they're like, "Thanks, man." So grace not only is it to be opened, but it's to be put into use. It's not to be shown to other people. Look how great my gift is that I have. But it's to be taken out and put to good use. True grace. He presented us grace. We needed it so bad. We were undeserving of it. It's his undeserved blessing towards us rather than giving us the cursing or discipline or persecution or oppression that we probably more likely deserved. I'm sure we deserved it to some extent. God showed grace to Adam and Eve when, when they ate of the tree. He gave them the tree, but for the time they were only to observe the tree. They weren't to eat of the tree. 
But when they ate of the tree, he didn't strike them instantly with death. He gave them long lives and children. That's grace. He didn't give them what they deserved for willfully sinning against him. He instead clothed them, and he loved them, and he had mercy on them, which is an aspect of the end of grace. Mercy is not giving us what we do deserve. Grace is giving us what we don't deserve in a positive, and mercy is giving us not giving us what we do deserve. And he did both. Grace gives us the opportunity for eternal life that we never earned or deserved. Remember that meal I was telling you about in Deuteronomy 14 last week? That's grace. That's grace. God provides the entire meal, and he said, I want you to do a sacrifice. If you can't afford it, or just sell all that you got, whatever, you don't want to travel with it, then just bring yourself, buy the very best food, and then sit down and eat it in front of me. That's grace. I'll provide everything, and you can have it all and eat it in front of me, and I'll watch you, and I'll have joy watching you, and you'll have joy enjoying your food. That's grace. That's what he does. And you say, well, I feel so distant for God. Well, we'll eat some food in front of him and thank him for it and know that he's enjoying watching you eat it. Every provision, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights in whom there is no shadow of turning. He doesn't change. It's good. It came from God. He gave it to you to enjoy and to live in. If we could really understand fully God's grace to us, would we not provide better grace to other people maybe? Remember the, the wicked steward in Matthew 18 where the parable where the, the man owes not that much but quite a bit to the king and then and then the king says, well, I forgive you your debt. And then he goes out after, well, no, what he owed millions to the king, right? And then the king forgives his debt. But then the man goes out and finds this guy that owes him a couple hundred bucks and puts him in debtor's prison. That's our measure of grace right there. We, we need to give grace. I mean, if we can't even get mercy right, how are we going to get grace right? If we can't understand God's mercy, how are we going to understand his grace? But I'm telling you, he wrote it down in the book there. We read it in John. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their words. He provided a place for you so long ago before you were even, a, as I used to say, a glint in your pappy's eye or whatever. You weren't even thought about, but he thought about you and made a place for you a place of grace. So those of us who were trapped by grace in the far distant outer court, we were trapped out there, but by God's grace, he made an access and he made a vision for us to see all the way into the Holy of Holies. And that is a very special thing that we miss. I think the casualness with which we talk about holy things over time has really hurt us. People still, I still hear people tell some kind of little you know, Jesus joke, you know, whatever. Do you know what he did? If you know what he did, why, are you, why would you bring him into any sort of light talking or mocking? What did he do? He died for you. And God sent him in his grace to die for you. And his grace is greater than anything we can understand. If we could grab his grace, if we could understand his grace... We could understand more who he, who he is. Grace is the thing that extends God's hand towards men. And we don't even have the strength to lift our own hand up. So he sends Jesus to lift our arm up to grab his hand so he can rescue us. That's the kind of grace we're talking about. And we're really bad to reject his hand or to ignore his hand, especially once we've accepted Christ. We think, well, I've accepted Christ and I can live however I want 
because he understands what I am. He understands what he is. That's why he doesn't strike you dead when you mock his name and reject his love and walk away from him because of his grace and his mercy. That's why he lets you do that. But it's not from lack of love. In fact, in his love, there can be discipline for sure for those of us that want to walk that way. His grace cannot be earned or deserved, but it's available in abundance to any who would receive it as a gift. It's an amazing thing. I, I, I was giving you guys a hard time about, you know, the different people that ask me those questions. You know who you are. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I struggle with, everybody struggles with the same thing. I go to Tony, and I hear him say the same things. I go to other pastors, especially people that are close to death or, or in real trauma in their life, you know, the kid's sick or their kid's wayward or whatever. And they're like, man, you know, raise up a child in the way he should go, but he's not come back yet. Well, he ain't dead yet either. Give him a second. Give the Lord a second to work on him. I'm praying for my wife. She's in this. I'm praying for my so-and-so, and he hasn't answered yet. Well, how do you know? Give him a minute. His grace is abundant, and his, his truth is eternal. And he's going to do what he says he's going to do for those that are his children. If you're his children, you can trust that his grace will do what, it says, what he says it will do for you. Anyway, quit escaping into the world and then return to the shadow of the Most High. I think the reason we're having trouble hearing his voice, understanding his love, seeking his face, it's because we're seeking everything else but his face. And we're seeking everything else but his love. Go back to seeking his love. Go back to seeking his face. And I promise he'll answer you. I do want to sing a song. Let's close with this song. But I'm going to pray for us while we get ready. And Wherever you're at and whatever you're going through, I don't know. I don't know what you're going through. It was very interesting to, to be there with those people. And uh, to see it was largely a Pentecostal, charismatic kind of group of folks. And they were, they were saying, they kept saying things like, uh, you know, I, I proclaim by the blood of Christ that, that you will be healed. This 78-year-old man with cancer all over him. You know what? People die of stuff. They just do. And I love them. And it hurt me to leave them. It really did. To look him in the eye and think, well, this is probably, probably the last time I'm going to see him face to face, you know. It really did. It hurt my feelings. But he's fixing to have life better than he ever had here. If I'm croaking of something, pray that I don't hurt while I'm going. And let me go. Because God's grace is waiting for us on the other side. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you and ask for your grace to be revealed to us. Help us to understand what it means to be loved. The Father loves me. Father, thank you for loving me. Despite my flaws, despite the things that I've done, said, said thought, acted upon thank you for casting my sin as far as the, the east is from the west thank you for not only forgiving my sin but forgetting it also because of the blood of Christ that was poured out on Calvary thank you for your care for us Lord for these that are here I pray for them with them that they would understand what it meant that someone years ago considered it enough to give them the gospel and they received it Lord I pray that they can see into the holy of holies now and they can recognize your goodness and your graciousness and your kindness and your mercy and your long-suffering and your gentleness 
and the joy and peace that you promise. Lord, I pray that they would receive those things, Lord, and they would begin to live in those things, that they would no longer walk according to the flesh, but they would walk according to the Spirit, Lord, as you have called us to do. Thank you for your goodness, Lord, one more time. And we'll give you all honor, glory, and praise in the name of Jesus until we see you face to face. Amen. Let's stand together and sing our song there. Grace that is greater than all our sins.